Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Well, that's actually one of the things that social media has made accessible. There's a lot of local groups uh, through social media that you can find a mentor to help you learn how to bass fish or tie off uh, uh, a, uh, a lure or learn how to shoot a bow or uh, learn how to get into your tree stand for the first time and be able to shoot out of your tree stand. There's a lot of people willing to go out of their way to, to mentor you, to show you the ropes, to show you what not to do, to show you the right thing. I'm Chris Avena with American Outdoor News on the Tom Rowland Podcast. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. Got a good one with Chris Avina 
from American Outdoor News. Um, I haven't met Chris before, so we're just kind of catching up and uh, finding out all about his business and some cool stuff like his interview with Bo Jackson, one of the greatest athletes we've ever had on this planet. So I'm a big Bo Jackson fan. Wanted to hear all about that. And I think you're going to really enjoy this one uh, with Chris Avina from American Outdoor News. He is new on the Waypoint Network as well. So there's so much good stuff over there on the Waypoint Network that you can go check out. You can see uh, we have like over 50 podcasts now. There are so many new producers coming on on the video side. All our stuff is over there. We have uh, Into the Blue, Saltwater Experience, Sweetwater, Guides and Tides headed that way. So lots of cool stuff. Plus, my podcast is over there. But you guys already know that. You're listening to it right now. Um, anyway, Waypoint TV is a great place. You go to waypointtv.com. You can find out how to watch or listen to any of your favorite outdoor content by going to the Ways to Watch page if you're unfamiliar um, if you have a brand new Samsung TV, you can watch uh, the Waypoint channel on Samsung Plus TV. It's totally free and full of amazing content. You watch it just like a regular TV channel. That is where a lot of people are watching. But also Waypoint TV, of course, is on demand. So if you go to the Waypoint TV app or waypointtv.com, you can select whatever you want to watch, whenever you want to watch it. And you can probably get it on any device that you want. Go to the Ways to Watch page to learn how to do that. Anyway, um, thanks so much for all the support for this podcast. Like I have said many times before, this podcast has grown every day that we've put it out. And we're getting some great guests on here. But that's all thanks to you guys uh, for supporting the podcast. And if you want to support the podcast, there's a couple ways that you could do that. You can go to Apple iTunes or the Apple Podcast app and rate and review the show. That is a really big thing. Just hit that five-star rating, and then if you have just a couple of minutes, just write a quick review. If you don't know what to write, say, you know, write something about your favorite episode. I really like this episode with so-and-so. I learned whatever. Anything like that is awesome. It just lets other people that are discovering the show understand that this is a real show that we're really putting out good content and that people actually like it and might be worth their time. There's a ton of podcasts out there and, um, you know, we want to grow this show so we can keep doing it. So I appreciate your help there. Also, if you want to join the inner circle and you want to be, um, updated on all the new stuff that we're doing, be that podcasts, television shows, whatever, it is appearances, meetups at, at iCast, workouts at stuff like iCast or when I'm at Hawks K or whatever, you can come and actually work out with me. Uh, we'll probably do the deck of cards, um, but maybe not. Maybe we'll find some other workouts. But that is also very easy to do. You just text 305-930-7346. Text the word TEAM, T-E-A-M, TEAM to that and you will be part of the team you'll be part of the inner circle and that is also the best way to communicate with me directly if you have show suggestions if you have um, guest suggestions i've taken a tremendous number of guest suggestions from that text thread and it works great so if you've got somebody that you think would be a great guest i'd love to hear about it and i'll do my best to get them on here um, so that's a great way 
to get a hold of me. In fact, it is the best way to get a hold of me. Um, I will respond to you there. So that text is 305-930-7346. Text the word TEAM to that, and you will be part of the inner circle. All right, on to the show with Chris Avina and American Outdoor News. All right, Chris, how's it going, man? Going great, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for thanks for coming on. I'm looking forward to to getting to know you a little better and and finding out how you started this this awesome business you got going on. Well, it's you know uh, I've been in the outdoor industry for for a while now. I have I also own a social network called SeeMeHunt.com. Okay. What's that about? Um, See what a social network. What is that? That's uh, yeah, basically a place where all outdoorsmen can go and network and meet each other and uh, talk about uh, different gear, different hunts. And it's multifaceted. There's there's forums, there's uh, blogs. You could upload your videos and pictures. Um, I haven't focused on that a lot lately. Um, so uh, I really need to redo that site and, and bring it up to date. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was speaking to somebody about buying a publication, uh, their numbers were a little out of line. I think there were more emotional numbers than, than financial numbers. Uh, and basically I said, I, I don't need to buy your magazine. I could start my own. <laughs> he said, go ahead. I said, hold my beer. And here I am today. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so what year was that when you, uh, when you, when you handed off your beer? That was a little over three years ago. Um, we're just, uh, venturing into our fourth season and, uh, it's been a learning curve. Uh, it's been exciting. It's, uh, really developed along the way and I'm excited for things to come. Yeah. So, um, that's American outdoor news that you're talking about that you started, right? Yes. So did you start it as a physical magazine or a digital magazine? I started as a digital magazine. Uh, the margins for print are, are shrinking by the day. Um, I get magazines at my house all the time and I'll pick it up and say, Hey, that looks like a great issue. And I'll put it down. And before I know it, the next issue comes and I never read that one. Mm. So, um, I, I think the way people's mindsets are going and they're always on the move and they always have a phone or a tablet or a computer in their hand and it makes it so much easier to just access, uh, the magazine at this point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I don't know. I used to get, well, that's kind of the way that I developed my love for the outdoors was, was basically going hunting and fishing with my dad when I was young, but we always had the field and stream. We always had the outdoor life. We always had my dad like had American rifleman. I remember that was always around and I would just study those magazines. I mean, I would just study them and study them and study them and read and then go back to them. And you'd have a stack of these things that you would go back to. And, you know, I do kind of miss those days of, of physical magazines. You'd go into the doctor's office or you'd go into places like that and you would see these physical magazines. But that, things have definitely, definitely changed. Um, I don't think that the advertisers are as excited about print as they once were for sure, because there's just so many other ways, but the digital seems to seems to be the way of the future. Uh, and I'm sure you're seeing that on a daily basis. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we can uh, share our advertisers um, 
ads or the articles on uh, multiple platforms, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, Pinterest. Uh, there's features in the magazine where you can share with your friends or, or share it uh, on your own social media. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you first started this, was the idea to, to basically be a hunting magazine or was it all outdoors? Or what, what was your idea with it? You know, I, I, I'm in New York, so you wouldn't think I, I grew up in the outdoors. Um, but I've always loved being outdoors uh, through, you know, uh, being young, going camping with the Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. And my uncle would always take me camping with my uncle, uh, with my cousins. So he really introduced me to the outdoors and took me on my first hunt and whatnot. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I, I love kayaking i love fishing i love hiking uh, anything outdoors so that's pretty much what the magazine is um shooting sports um really everything that we love to do mm -hmm. i don't i don't want to pigeonhole it or limit it to just one topic yeah do you see that your your um your customers and your readers and subscribers are kind of across all um outdoors or do you can you tell that you have more hunters or more fishermen or? Oh, I definitely have uh, more hunters uh, than anything else. But uh, I would say overall, the hunter is an outdoorsman uh, at heart. And yeah. uh, most of them will pick up a fishing pole uh, and, you know, go freshwater fishing or saltwater fishing. Uh, they'll go on a hike. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it, you know, I, I think uh, all of my readers um, really embrace the outdoors. They don't just rifle hunt or just bow hunt. Yeah. It's uh, it's a broad spectrum. Mm -hmm. So you say you grew up in the in, in New York area. Um, you know, I read this book when I was probably in the fourth grade. It was probably one of the most impactful books on me it was probably the first book i ever finished and maybe maybe the only book i finished for a long time i, I wasn't a very good reader in 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 uh grammar school but it was called my side of the mountain and it was about this boy that runs away from new york and he goes to the cat skills and he he like hollows out this tree and he has this he he captures a a falcon and then he starts doing falconry and he's catching all this stuff i just thought that was the coolest book um ever are you familiar with that book no, I'm not. But, uh, you know, I, uh, Catskills is where I've, yeah, always that's gone. what I was going to ask. Like, is, are you familiar with that area? And that that's probably where you, that's your backyard probably. Yeah. Well, it's two hours away from me. Um, for, uh, we had a club there for <sighs> club was there for over 20 years. I was a member and on the board for 10 or 12, um, it was a two hour drive from me. We had a 600 acres. We had a 60 acre lake, couple cabins. And now the owner just sold the property. So we lost all these mm. and um, scrambling for the season now. <laughs> oh yeah. That sounds like a paradise, man. That 60 acre lake. What was in there? Would you have trout? In oh, there we had crappy and catfish and uh, bass. Uh, we, we had a lot of different fish to, to catch in there. Yeah. That sounds awesome, man. And then what's the hunting like in the Catskills? Uh, you know, we get a little everything. Um, 
a lot of deer and bear, uh, turkey, coyote, um, really a little everything. And um, with the proximity to so many big cities, do you, is that, is it crowded? Do you see a lot of people there or is it easy to get away up there? It's easy to get away. New York really has everything. Yeah. Uh, we have, you know, beautiful beaches. We have the cities, suburbs, and we're just a few hour drive from, uh, from going up in the mountains. Uh, I mean, I could drive six hours and be up in the Adirondack and it's the, the woods are as thick as being up in Maine. Yeah. Nice. Well, I had a, the only real experience I've had with, with being in the woods in New York is uh, a long time ago, I did this great outdoor games and it was in Lake Placid. And so oh, I yeah. went up there and, and fished the Osable river and man, it was awesome. I mean, it, it really looked a lot like um, the the area that I grew up in in Tennessee. It was kind of these rolling hills. You got a lot of rhododendron. Yep. You got a lot of like mountainous kind of, I don't know, same same type of vegetation, same type of, of terrain. Just really cool. I liked it a lot. And it opened my eyes because, you know, I had visited the city a number of times. You're thinking, man, I don't know how anybody would live here. You can't <laughs> can't hunt or fish or do anything. I mean, it's nice to visit yep. for a couple of days, but I sure don't want to live here. Uh, as Central Park is your wildlife, like, and that's that's pretty sweet. And I love New York. I love going to the city. That's that's great. But it it, it wasn't a place that I would want to live. You know, when I when I first visited there, but then you get your eyes open to like what the state of New York has, and you know, you, you kind of feel almost stupid. Like I had no idea this existed up here and it's so easy to get away from the city and away from the population centers. And look, you have these beautiful rivers and like Lake Placid is amazing. That place. I love that place. Yeah. They had the, uh, the Olympics. Up I there. know I went to that place. And so I had read that book and, um, later after I'd gone to Lake Placid, I saw the movie miracle and, oh, sure. you know, they portray this as this, it was this amazing game between the Russians and the Americans and the Americans beat the Russians. And it was this, it was this really underdog story of just, just, it was one of the greatest sporting events probably of all historic time. Historic victory. But you go into that place today, knowing that story, and it looks like you're at a high school gym. I mean, it is yep. not a big place. That place had to be rocking and rolling when that went on. That that whole town, the whole you know Lake Placid Village, uh, you know they had the skiing events, they had the hockey yeah. events, figure skating. I mean, it was it was something. Yeah. I, I didn't go up there during the Olympics, but I've been up there since. And that whole region is called the Finger Lakes region, and there's a lot of lakes um, and beautiful little villages and towns, and uh, a lot of bear up there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do the, do the uh and and black bear obviously uh yeah. do they get big up there are they on the smaller side you know uh, i think the typical new york bear is probably like 200 pounds mm -hmm. um the the big four or five six hundred pound bears you don't see often but they're there yeah they're, yeah. they're big for a reason <laughs> so what what's the uh what's the bear hunting um regulations like in New York? I mean, that seems, I don't know, you start talking about bear hunting, you start talking about New York, it seems like there would be kind of, um, it, it might 
get taken out of the hands of the of the scientists and the game wardens and into the hands of the people that are like, oh no, let's don't let's don't hunt bears, not not right here. We have uh, an overabundance of bears. Mm. Um, we're allowed to take one bear per season, uh, no matter if you take it during bow season, rifle season, or muzzleloader season. Um, I think last year alone, we took six bear off our property. Wow. Off the 600 acres. That's a lot of bear on 600 acres. Sure. And, and then you're probably still seeing them, seeing plenty, even sure, by taking I, six off. I didn't shoot one last year, but uh, I saw some nice bears right under my stand. Yeah. Uh, I saw two separate sows with two cubs each. Um I, I could have thrown a rock at them that were that close, 20 yards um, and less. And that's when I you're deer have. hunting? Well, deer and bear run uh, at the, the same, same season. Yeah. So I could have I could have shot it with my bow, but you know, there was, you know, it was a mother with cubs. I wasn't right. gonna do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And what do you like to do with with the bear that you that you harvest? Oh, bear's delicious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, um uh, you know, I like to either throw it in the crock pot. Um, you know, season it will beef stock and just, uh, you know, let it sit in there for a few hours, uh, or put it on the smoker. Yeah. You know, there's burgers, there's sausage. Um, I love to cook. So, uh, and there's actually a cooking section in the, um, uh, in the magazine. Hmm. Uh, and we always feature different, uh, wild game recipes. Nice. Um, this coming issue, we're going to have uh, a duck recipe and it's made in a sun oven. In a it's, sun oven. It's not gas. It's not charcoal. You put it in this box and you pull out the reflectors and you leave it in the sun for a few hours and it cooks. It steams. Wow. You can't burn it. You can leave it in there all day. You can make, uh, you can uh, dehydrate food in there. You can make bread. You can make just about anything in there. It's wow. amazing. <laughs> wow, that's cool. I've never used a sun oven, but living in Florida for for a lot of years, you could definitely you could definitely um, make just about anything. I think you can fry fry an egg some days on the on the deck of the boat. But uh, uh, Florida, especially, you could put it out uh, a roast out for a couple hours, and you'll you'll be able to have a feast. Wow. So who makes that a, a sun oven? I've never. It's called cool sun oven. Oh, really? That's, that's the name of the company. It's actually going to be featured in the magazine this issue. Cool. Cool. That's awesome. So do you use, uh, do you use any other kind of grills? Uh, I just got a new Brio. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've seen Brio, those. Brio fire pit with the grill on it. I've uh -huh. used the grill before, the Brio grill. And, um, you know, I just put it over a fire pit and we were able to barbecue uh, corn and, and, you know, some steaks and whatnot. Um, regular barbecues. I got my smoker, love to smoke. Uh, I just started getting into that. Into the smoking. Yeah. 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 But do you have uh, a dedicated smoker or are you doing it with, with one of the, the, the grills that will I have also a dedicated, smoke? I have a dedicated smoker. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's not a great one. It's just something I, uh, cheap one I picked up offline to see if I liked it. Uh, and I'm probably going to be stepping up into something a little more uh, elaborate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so a lot of those new grills, the, like especially the pellet grills, you can you can also smoke. And 
from my experience, I had a smoker that was like a, it's like a refrigerator. It was like a little college refrigerator, you know? Oh small. yeah. 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 But they were, I mean, it worked great, but it was kind of hard to clean. Like I kind of, you know, <laughs> I've been shying away from those for that particular reason. Yeah, I mean, they're really kind of hard to clean because you, you, you just smoked it all day long. Now you're excited to eat it and you know, you might pull the racks out and start scrubbing those things. But the inside of that oven, really the smoker, it really needs to be cleaned regularly. Yep. And, uh, it's pretty hard to do. That's why I was kind of leaning towards, too, right? yeah, I was kind of, and, and for that part, I mean, it's so awesome. Like you set the temperature and then the time and you leave and it will stay exactly that temperature for, you know, however long. And all you got to do is make sure that there's some wood chips in there and it's really, yeah. really easy to use, but very difficult to clean. And that's why I was kind of thinking about going to one of those pellet grills with a smoker uh, because, you know, you just, turn it on high and burn everything off like you would on a regular grill. And, uh, it seems way easier to clean. I don't know if it's easier to cook, but it seems easier to clean. Well, it's easier to maintain the uh, exact temperature that you want with the pellet grills mm -hmm. because it will automatically feed to maintain that temperature. Mm. Um, so you can, you know, go shopping or whatever, do run whatever errands you want. And you know, it's going to maintain that heat. You know, the amount of time it's got to be on there. Um, I like, uh, I'm more of a hands-on guy. So I like feeding the wood and I like picking the wood that I'm going to put in there. And, um, you know, to me, it's a, it's an activity. Yeah. Well, it's, and it is, it's like an all day kind of thing. You're going to have some people over for the football game or whatever, and you start way early and you, you start smoking or, or whatever you're, you're getting ready to do. And it's kind of an all day thing. You know, my buddy, uh, Scott Walker, he, he loves doing that. And he'll, I mean, it's, it's, that's his whole day. That might be his whole weekend. <laughs> he's going to brine something on Friday yep. and then he's going to put it on the grill on Saturday and Saturday night, everybody comes over and like, he spent the whole weekend doing that, you know, but he's, it's, it's amazing when you eat it. It's fantastic, yep. and it's definitely worth the worth the deal. Well, that's cool. So you cover all that in your in your magazine. What um sure. what else are you like as far as like you have news in your um in your name? So was I don't know if that's what your what your you know if it evolved well, into that uh, eventually because everything kind of changes. But um, do you cover a lot of news? Uh, we try to be topical. Um, a lot of uh, our writers will send in articles based on their own experience, whether they're um, summiting Mount Kilimanjaro or going on an African game hunt or, um, you know, going to uh, uh, on a muskox hunt or whatever it is. But, you know, we have an, uh, a section, a two-way section, uh, where we like to keep current on Second Amendment issues. Hmm. Um, What's going on with that right now? Well, you know, there's, it seems that, you know, they're trying to regulate our um, background checks. Mm. Uh, expanded background checks is not the answer. Uh, any of these shootings where, say, somebody had purchased a gun legally, um, they didn't have a record, no felonies, no um, assaults, no violent behavior in the background, none of this would have come up in a background check. Hmm. Um, even, you know, like a psychological issue. 
anybody could have a breakdown. You and I could have a breakdown. Um, but it doesn't mean, you know, that that's their norm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not going to show up in a background check, expand the background checks. It can keep adding and adding and adding. It's not going to help crime. Right. It's not going to, if somebody is intent on going out and committing a crime or a shooting or whatever, they're going to do it. Yeah. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But um, the bills that are brought to the floor right now, uh, H.R. 8 and H.R. 1446, those are both uh, expanded background uh, bills. They're not going anywhere. They're not voting on them. I know, uh, I think the, uh, the left knows they're not going to get the votes, um, the 50 votes, let alone uh, 60 votes uh, in the filibuster. The, I think the moderate left is leaning more towards the right uh, as far as that issue goes. Uh, and in New York, uh, they presented something about not hunting with lead bullets. Hmm. Where are you going to get bullets right now? <laughs> lead, steel, copper, where are you going to get it? There's right. nothing out there. So right. they're not getting the guns. They're trying to backdoor it with um, regulating our ammunition. Hmm. And that's not going to work either. Um, you know, they're, they're looking to um, expand the background checks, uh, make sure you have uh, insurance. Uh, I think it's $800 per gun. And the average hunter owns more than one weapon. Sure. Uh, so they're trying to make it unaffordable uh, for you to own a gun, uh, among other things. Well, but would, yeah, would we, you that that would be a, a special kind of insurance, like a gun insurance, not like yes. on your homeowner's policy or something like yeah, that. Would, like it would be over and above any insurance that you're carrying on your house. But you know that's back during registration. Hmm. If you have insurance, well, he must own a gun. Right. That's that's another form of registration. Right. And so that um would that would people that already own guns be grandfathered in on something like that? Or is this like no. No. They they want you to have huh. I haven't heard and that. It's not yet. just it's not just ARs, it's rifles in general. Mm -hmm. Handguns you already have a license for. Right. You don't need a license for a rifle. Mm -hmm. And so 
those are things that they're they're that are proposed right now but not not getting a lot of traction correct yeah and so how closely are you covering um all of the all of the momentum and movements and and proposed bills and all all kinds of stuff like that do you keep your finger on the pulse of that all the time uh i try i try it's not always easy but um you know i'll listen to different um uh, YouTube channels and, and, you know, try to read whatever's coming out. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, they're always going to try. Yeah. It's a tough thing. It really is. I mean, nobody wants to see mass school shootings. That's terrible. That's a terrible thing to see. And then people feel like they've got to do something. So, you know, there's over, there's over 300 million guns in this country. Um, over 80 million gun owners. If there was a uh, epidemic or a serious gun problem, the public would know about it. Mm. So it's not the legal gun owners. Criminals will always get guns. Yeah. 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 <sighs> it's, it, it's just hard to, it's just hard to know what to do. I mean, I certainly own a lot of guns. And, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird kind of place because like I say, people feel like they need to do something, but what, like, it's, well, this year alone, there's over 8 million new first time gun owners. Yeah. Um, and that is brought on through a lot of different factors. Uh, (laughs) well, this year there's been a lot of things that make you think, man, I think I might need a gun. Um, well, a you know, lot of things the, going on. You have the pandemic, you have riots across the country, Portland, Seattle, Chicago, uh, even New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people want to protect their home and family. Right. And then you have the, uh, the, the movement to defund the police, which if you <laughs> don't have police there, then I, I mean, I'm sure that there are a tremendous number of people who are, are realizing, oh, well, if they're not coming, then who's coming to, to help me if in the case that somebody breaks into my house? Well, probably nobody. Yeah. And, you know, I grew up in a police family. Uh, my father was uh, a police officer, my uncle, my cousin, uh, probably 70% of my friends are on the job. Um, people don't realize what they go through uh, on a day-to-day basis. It's a dangerous job. Sure it is. Uh, it's, you know, there's not too many uh, careers out there where you go to work in the morning, not knowing if you hundred percent going to make it home at night. Yeah. No, I, I definitely don't think that the defund the police is the answer. I was immediately thinking, no, more training, more, you know, more recruiting, more, more training up and, and, and getting the best possible applicants. Um, yep. And and having them be the most qualified, and that requires more funding, not less funding. Hundred um, percent. But yeah, man, it's a um, that's a tough job. That's a really tough job. You know, maybe do more hand to hand training, hand to hand combat training, things of that nature. Um, look at this um, woman that uh, got shot in what was it, Ohio? She was trying to stab somebody. Hmm. Um, Cop shot her. They try to make it a, a racial issue, which 
There's no racial issue in this country. You know, all of us have friends of different religions, different races, different whatever. Mm. Um, I don't I don't see an issue with that. I think that's a narrative they're trying to push. Um, they were trying to then, you know, uh, after the racial, they tried to make it that this guy only had 16 uh, months on the job. But he is a combat veteran. Mm. He's got experience. He's probably got more experience than a, a cop just coming out of the academy. Right. Yeah. Did you see Charles Barkley um, talk about this on, on TV? I thought that was interesting what he had to say. He was uh, Somebody asked him his opinion, and he was just kind of like, my opinion is that there's not a, not a problem between black people and white people. It, it was... He was like, I think that that's your politicians, the Republicans and the Democrats mm-hmm. are trying to get people to, to, to not get along. I don't know. I don't follow it that much because I'm on a news blackout. I have decided about, I don't know, over two years ago that I'm just turning off the news. I'm just not going to watch it. And I don't. And, you know, the, the important stories, they trickle down to me and I hear about them, but I don't leave the news on all the time i don't hear um every little story and honestly my life's better it really is i just don't (laughs) i don't follow everything i don't i don't uh get get all worked up about a lot of things and i just that was something that i worked on a a while back and just just turned the news off and oh man it's a it's a way different life when you don't when you're when you're not uh, obsessing over and you don't even think you're obsessing, but it's like it's on all the time, yep. and try turning it off for a little while, and I don't know, it worked for me. I like it a lot. Well, <laughs> being a part of the media, uh, you know, reporting any type of news, it's a privilege. Yeah, report it as it happens, not as we want you to hear it. Mm. You know. It's, let the people decide for themselves. Yeah. Them- is that what you do with your magazine? Because you're, you're obviously very, very skewed in your, in your readership. Like you have a bunch of hunters and a bunch of fishermen and a bunch of people that probably are, are, you know, concerned about the gun rights. They want to maintain their gun rights. So when you, re- when you report on something like what we're talking about, how do you, how do you report that to an audience like you have, uh, admittedly, I am very one-sided. <laughs> the Second Amendment. <laughs> well, well, yeah, probably, but but still, like you say, you it is a privilege to report the news, and it is it is your your duty in some way to present both sides of a of a of an issue, and then let people. I mean, you already know which way they're going to go. So I, I call things as I see them, for the most part. Yeah. Um, but as far as the second amendment goes, um, their narrative is out there and they're hammering it home as hard as they can, as fast as they can. And for a long time, we basically sat back and said, yeah, well, you know, this is all right. And we were very passive in, in how we went about it. Um, our voice needs to be heard. And that's my goal. Let our opinion get out there. Let our voice get out there. And like it or not, it's all right to think this way. Mm. Yeah. 
for sure. I mean, that's that's something that is that it, it it's it's disturbing to see the the cancel culture and the the um the movement away from what is really free speech. Like you can say whatever you want. Well, not really, because I mean, people are getting their careers taken away. People are 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 really getting in some yeah. hot water because of something they said and not even just something that they just said recently. It might've been something that they said 10 years ago. And, um, I don't know. I, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty disturbing trend, um, for, for that. Really yeah. Yeah. I hope that doesn't continue or I don't know. At some point it has to get so ridiculous that people are just like, well, no. I, I was never a, a PC guy. Uh, I'll say what's on my mind. I'll say it in jest. I'll say it as a joke. I'll say it in a serious manner. Um, uh, the way I grew up, you know, guys busted each other's chops hmm. about any number of things. You either rolled with it or you were in a fight every day. You, you know, you can't, your feelings can't get hurt because your friends are busting your chops. You know, it's, it's the way it was. Now everybody's offended. You know, what people don't realize is, you know, why do you need an AR with a high-capacity magazine to go hunting? Well, that's not what it's about. The Second Amendment was never about hunting. Mm -hmm. It was never about what you can own or how much you can own. It's about protecting yourself, your family, and your country from a tyrannical government. Right. You're protecting yourself from enemies, both foreign and domestic. You know, if we hypothetically, and God forbid, we ever have to rise up against our government because they're not doing what they were elected to do, what are we going to throw rocks at them? Hmm. You know, we, we have to be able to protect ourselves. Yeah. And that's what that was. That was the intention, right. To, to keep the government in check that, that, that every citizen has the right to bear arms. That was, that was the intention or the original intention. So I don't know. We'll see, we'll see where this goes. Um, but that, that certainly was the original intention. What about, uh, what about fishing? How much are you covering, uh, for like the striped bass is a huge, uh, issue up your way. Uh, we've had a number of people on the podcast talking about the health of the striped bass fishery and, and the different, um, uh, regulations from state to state and how, you know, just the, just the state of that fishery. Are you, uh, are you watching that? Uh, I haven't been covering a lot of that. I do have, um, a, uh, a fishing column, um, Josh Bendowski, she, he owns uh, Bendowski Power Fishing, and he's in Utah. Hmm. So he, he's, uh, he writes a lot of my uh, fishing articles. Gotcha. Uh, I think uh, this issue, he has something about barometric, barometric pressure in fishing and okay. how it affects um, your fishing, how it affects the fish, different times to fish. Uh, how the weather affects uh, your day out on the lake. Hmm. Yeah. Barometric pressure. That is, 
That is a definitely a major major factor. I have never really spent the time to journal all about like what the barometric pressure has been and how that affected the fishing, except in trout fishing out West, you get a low pressure system come in and all the bugs hatch and every fish in the river comes up and starts eating them. And that is by far away. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that like the low pressure moving in does something to the whole ecosystem and it is on. That is definitely the best time to go. Well, how do you go from being a uh, freshwater fisherman in Wyoming Hmm. to being a saltwater fisherman in Key West? That's pretty easy. (laughs) That's a pretty easy answer. If the weather was like it was in the summertime in Wyoming all year long, I would have never gone to Key West. But I tried to spend a winter in Jackson, Wyoming, and it was so cold, and I am (laughs) such a wimp. That I went as far as you could possibly go away from that and ended up in Key West. Um, I mean, that is kind of the 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 answer in jest. Um, I really wanted to fish all year round. And when I was a when I was a guide out west, there was we we didn't have the 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 season that we currently have. I don't know if it's homeschooling or what, but it used to be that around the 7th or 8th of September, man, I mean, the, the tourism decreased by 80%. And mm-hmm. there was just, you know, school goes back into session. And, you know, two weeks ago, town was absolutely full. Now town is virtually empty. And it was a very specific time. That doesn't happen like it used to. And I'm not sure exactly what the reasons are or why, but guides now are, are are fishing all the way through September, all the way through October, into November, until it gets really cold. And then they're fishing select days in the winter, and then they're starting fishing early in the spring. When I was guiding uh, in Jackson, it was not like that. And, and, and it was unheard of for many people to get very many days. You, you could get about 100 days, um, and that would be, you know, maybe a few early season before the before the runoff then the runoff would start and then our season would start about 4th of July and it would go all the way until there were no more tourists and the fishing stayed great it was fantastic but there just wasn't weren't very many people to take fishing even with the advent of all the good gear like the Gore-Tex wader and and the great movie like a river runs through it that brought tons of people out there it still seemed like just school and everything else just kind of kept people, kept a lot of people from the fall fishing. So my choices were I could um, get a real job, you know, like like a lot of people did. They had they were like teachers or or something, and that would leave their summers open for for guiding. But then they would they would do something else in the in the winter. Some people built houses. Some people were snowmobile guides. Some people were elk hunting guides. Some people were just general kind of do whatever kind of people. Um, None of that was really all that appealing to me. I wanted to fish. I wanted to fish year round and I wanted to do it just like we were doing in the, in the summer, just every single day, have a trip. And um, so my first thought was, well, I will go somewhere in the Southern hemisphere where there are trout and that looked kind of like Patagonia, Argentina, something like that. 
Um, but I had no connections there. I had no, I didn't know anyone there. I'd never been there. So then there was another opportunity that was um, saltwater. And there was some sort of a connection between Jackson Hole Trout Guides and Little Cayman Island, which had a place called the Southern Cross Club. And you could, my boss said, hey, if you want to go down there, I could probably hook you up. Um, and me being pretty wise uh, right then at that particular moment, I said, well, maybe before I take the job, I should go down there and check it out with my girl, then girlfriend, now wife. And uh, so we went down to Little Cayman. It was pretty rural, pretty rough. There were about 12 people on the island, one, uh, one little lodge there. Um, you had one fishing guide that would, would have been me. Um, and my wife would have cooked and, uh, it, let's just say it was not what we were looking for. It was an opportunity and I was happy to have that opportunity, but it didn't, it didn't, it just wasn't going to work for me and my a little my, too my desolate wife. for yes. your own good. <laughs> yes. Now my wife had spent a ton of time on Grand Cayman and was very familiar with that and gone there many times with her family. So the Cayman Islands was a place that, that we were familiar with, but little Cayman is at the time was very undeveloped and, uh, and, and pretty rough really. So on the way back, we stopped in Key West and visited a friend that I had there, Simon Becker. And, um, man, I was just like, what is after going to that desolate Island and then coming to Key West, and I think that we happened to be there on Fantasy Fest, which is like oh, Mardi wow. Gras, you know? <laughs> and so we were kind of like, what? what's wrong with this place? This place is amazing. All we got to figure out is how anyone would possibly get started down here. And through the help of Simon and my other friend, Mike Pollock, and lots of other people, um, kind of created an opportunity. And, uh, so I would spend, um, I spent the first year down there getting my captain's license, uh, without taking any trips. And then I went back out West and guided in the summer and then came back to Key West. And I was planning on like just continuing to, to learn for a while. And I was very hesitant about taking my first trip and, uh, finally took a trip and, uh, and it was pretty successful. And that started it all off right there. And, um, you know, just eventually um, gave up the West and spent all my time in Key West because um, we could fish 365 days there. And, and the, uh, the, the Western fishing, you know, like I was saying, it just, it was very limited in, in I was working yeah. for someone else. So I wasn't only making, you know, half at least, or at best half of the guide wage was coming to me in Key West. I own my own business. So of course there's, you have your own expenses for boats and everything else. I mean, it's all on you, but you get everything like, and you're in charge of your schedule and I don't know, I just liked it. So that's how I started my career. Um, and, and really, I mean, all kidding aside, I, I did flee the winter in Jackson and go to the warm weather. Cause I am, I am kind of a cold weather wimp. I'm, I don't really, I can I'm handle it, but I don't either. really like it. <laughs> Key West is a lifestyle, man. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, you know, Key West is the bottom of the funnel, right? So it, or the top of the funnel, 
depending on how you look at it. And yep. uh, you see the best of the best, and sometimes you see the worst of the worst down there. And some of the best people I ever I've ever known in my life have been in Key West, and and uh, you know, there's some other people that that have trickled down to the bottom of the funnel instead of worked their way up to the top. And so you kind of look at it in a lot of different ways. But but I love Key West. I, I think Key West is a is a is an amazing place. It has a tremendous amount of history. It yeah. the fishing is is otherworldly. I mean, it's really good. And um, you know, it's just a it's a great place to make a career. So after a hard day out on the water, what do you make your way over to the hog's breath? Not at all. You know, the funny thing was, um, I, I did not, I, I stayed about as far away from Duval street as you could possibly get because like Key West is super expensive, like mm -hmm. to live there. And so I was working every day and there just was not a lot of time for that. You know, like I would, get back. And then I was raising kids there too. So we lived kind of one Island up from Key West and we were raising kids. And so you have the whole tourism, uh, Duval street and, and that circus that goes on down there. And then you have, there's a big population of people that just never go there that live in Key West. And it's just, that's just not part of the the yep. deal. Now we'd go to restaurants down there and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of fun things to do down there, but, yeah, but a for lot of the, nice places. Yeah. But for the most part, man, you're just guiding every single day just to, just to make ends meet. Like you, you, you just, everything's expensive, you know, it's really, really yeah. expensive there. So, you know, back in the eighties, they couldn't give houses away down yeah. there. You could, you could buy a house for like 10 grand. Wow. I wish, I wish I had bought a whole bunch of them because yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I did witness, um, witness the, uh, the, the real estate prices going way, way, way up and then way, way, way down and then back mm -hmm. up again. And, uh, you know, Key West is a, it, it, it is a, it is a place that is, you'll see, you'll see, crazy shifts in the real estate market. I mean, a house will be worth a million dollars and then it'll be worth $300,000 and then it'll be worth $1.4 million and then it'll be worth $250,000. And, you know, depending on the hurricane season, depending on yep. the economy, depending on lots of things, you see these massive shifts in, in, uh, in, in value there. But I mean, for, for me, that's one of the best investments I've ever made was a house in Key West, uh, for sure. For sure. Do you spend a lot of time down there? I've been down there a couple of times. Yeah. Um, I like to travel. Um, I've probably been around most of the world, um, probably 40, 50% of the U S, um, how did you travel around the world hunting and fishing or like uh, other oh, ways? No, I was in search of the ultimate beach. Oh, nice. <laughs> you went in search of the ultimate beach just to, just to hang out. Are you like a surfer or what, what was the, what's the draw like to the to beach? I lay on the beach and <laughs> just catch some rays and relax. Okay. So where is it in your opinion? Probably one of the nicest beaches I've ever been to is in Venezuela. Ah, nice. There's a lot of good uh, bone fishing there. You know, you walk out into the water, you're literally up to your chest in water. You could, it's like you're standing in a glass of water, huh. crystal clear salt water. Yeah. 
what part of Venezuela is that? Like, I know about the uh, I know about the bone fishing destinations there, and and it is uh, supposed to be incredible. We were in a lot of the small islands off the coast of Venezuela, uh, around Margarita Island, um, uh, Puerto La Cruz, uh-huh. around there. Uh, and then it's funny, uh, we had a fly out of Caracas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. And, you know, there was military in the airport at that time and whatnot, and I had about four hours to kill for my flight. So I went over to one of the military guys and I said, um, where can I get a cab? And he's like, where do you want to go? I said, well, I got a, a four hour layover. I figured I'd, you know, go see Caracas. He's like, not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why not? He said, don't leave the airport. He said, you'll get in the cab. You'll never be seen again. Whoa. I said, well, you know, four hours really isn't a lot of time. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out they have a book right over here I can read. Um, Yeah, that's kind of scary. Good thing you asked. Beautiful country. Um, I found the people to be very accommodating, very nice. But Venezuela turned out to be Venezuela. (laughs) So it... If you were to say top three beaches that you've that you've found, what would you say? Wow, uh, Venezuela's one, Saint Croix. Saint Croix, yeah. Saint Croix's got some beautiful beaches. They do a lot of, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Saint Croix. That's a place where you do some shore dives, where the scoop you you set up on on the, right on the shore, and you just start diving right there. Um, it's a very flat island, yeah. You know, so you know, hurricanes really rip through it. Uh-huh. Um, I'm I, going I to the to the 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 British Virgin Islands um, next year, and and doing a sailboat trip down there. Hmm. So looking forward to it. I've never been, never been. Uh, I guess the next would probably be Saint Bart, Saint Martin. Hmm. Um, beautiful, beautiful down there. Yeah. Love it. What about Hawaii? You've been out there? Never been to Hawaii yet. So I, I can't put that on my list just yet. Yeah. Well, I'm taking my daughter there in June and, uh, we're, we're, we're going to be in search of the ultimate beach, uh, as well as the ultimate wave and as well as, uh, the ultimate, um, hike and Hawaii. Like the more I learn about Hawaii, I've been there twice, but the more I learn about Hawaii, and the more time I want to spend there, it is, it is just an amazing place with incredible diversity in, 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 in not only just the, the wildlife and the, the vegetation and the, and the terrain, but also um, really in the things that you can do, like you can surf, you could, you could conceivably, you could snow ski in in Hawaii. You can, you can fish. I mean, there are, there's a drop off that is in sight of, land where you can catch 
the biggest things that swim in the ocean. I mean, marlin and everything. I mean, just right there, right off the, the coast. I mean, it's an amazing, amazingly quick drop off. Like you don't have to go way out. I mean, like you just see the fish, you see the boats just fishing right out there. And they're like, they're, they're fishing for, you know, the best stuff. It's not like they're trying to make an easy half day out of it. That's, that's where the fishing is. And, um, so I'm looking forward to that. There's some incredible bone fishing there. Um, really huge ones. And that's the only reason I've been to Hawaii is to stop over on the way to Christmas Island, which is also a really spectacular place to go. I, I love Christmas Island. Um, but Hawaii has just some of the most beautiful beaches, some of the most beautiful waterfalls, some of the most beautiful hiking trails, some these incredible volcanoes. We're going to go up on this, on the, uh, um, towards the summit of this, this mountain that's there. It's 9,600 feet is where you have to stop. And you have, if you have four wheel drive, you can go above that, uh, because the air's so thin that, that it says that, that your brakes won't work. So I guess you have to put it, you have to put it in really low gear to come down without using your brakes. Um, and, it, and this is like a 12,000 or 13,000 foot, uh, mountain there. And there's this, there's this, observatory up there the keck observatory but it's supposed to be even if you just go to the 9600 or 9200 level you're supposed to have zero light pollution and it's supposed to be the best star show you've ever seen anywhere wow. the best stars i've ever seen have been in africa um you know i, I would have to agree with you yeah did is that your experience there i mean I, I just couldn't believe what i was seeing you know, the night sky and their their sunrises and sunsets are, are some of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Yeah. One of the coolest things I ever did in, in Africa is we were doing, you know, just riding around in the Jeeps and stuff. And and we stayed out uh, to, to see this one particular animal. I can't remember exactly what it was uh, because the next part of the trip is what I really remember. And we're driving back and it got dark and... We're, we're driving along and all of a sudden the, the guy shuts down the, the, the Jeep. We turn off the, the engines and we're like, what? okay, what, what's this? What are we doing here? Like, what are we going to see? And he goes, okay, everybody just lean your head back and look up. And, uh, man, the stars were, it was unbelievable. I have never, I mean, and I've been in the back country of Yellowstone and, and, and been in some really great places that are a long way away from any light bulb. And I've seen some pretty awesome stars. There were pretty awesome stars in, in Argentina and in Bolivia. It was great, but, and so far to date, nothing has compared with that sky that I saw there. You could see depth between stars and you could see, I mean, I just never seen the, the, the Milky way like that. And then we're in a different hemisphere. So all the stars that you're looking at are, different exactly. like you're like well what where where is like the big dipper over there <laughs> right yeah exactly it's a weird thing you know but and we don't yeah. we don't look at the stars like we used to but i mean when you see something like that like that was entertainment a long time ago everybody just sat there and looked at the stars and i think that's that. i think that's the trouble with our society today nobody actually takes the time to appreciate with what our world has to offer. Yeah. Well, it's, it's pretty amazing. You know, 
that that star shows. I, I agree with you, and I'm really looking forward to taking my daughter to this uh, to this mountain. Mauna Kea, I think, is what it's called. I probably just butchered it and didn't pronounce it per- correctly, so sorry about that, Hawaiians. Um, but uh, I'm really looking forward to it. That that may be the thing that I'm looking forward to the most going to Hawaii is is going there because, man, I mean, just to experience that sky is it's amazing. I just hope that we have good weather and we can see see well. Uh, but apparently, you get way up there, and the clouds are like below you even if it's cloudy on the way up like you get wow. way up there and it's pretty clear that most, must be an experience yeah but look up that look up that keck observatory and you can see all kinds of pictures from up there and uh, i haven't been in the south pacific yet but that's you know that's uh on my list uh fiji tahiti oh yeah um, but uh when i was in africa i shot a spring buck at dusk and um the pH, he seemed a little stressed and panicked. And he's like, come on, we got to get this taken care of. And he literally took the thing and threw it over his shoulders and ran down the mountain with it. Wow. We, we did our pictures and video, whatever we had to do, and threw it in the truck. He's like, okay, let's get out of here. And by the time we started pulling out of there, it was pitch black. And, you know, the plains are really not a safe place to be after dark right and we went back the next day to hunt the same area and sure as hell we saw a three male lion about 300 yards from where i shot this thing wow so we could have very well been the hunted while we were hunting (laughs) and that's that's pretty scary especially when you see how big those lions are in person and and you just i mean there's you have no possible chance i mean there's there is nothing that you could do. There's no way to run. Weighs 800 pounds or some crazy thing. They're just absolutely enormous. And uh, and they're used to taking on these animals that are so awesome and armored and have horns and they're fighting back. And they're like, uh, we, us, we're nothing. Like, Nothing. But they, we they, went on they a, see a stake running across the plains. <laughs> yeah. I went on a mountain bike uh, safari. And we're riding mountain bikes through these areas. And, man, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, this is, I mean, are, are we sure this is, like, okay? Are we safe here? And, of course, the, the guy that's with us, heavily armed. Um, but we don't have like a Jeep following us or anything. We're on mountain bikes out there. I look back on that. And I think, man, I think that was a really stupid thing because the, the next couple of days we drove through a lot of the areas that looked exactly like where we were mountain biking. But with this one particular area, we went through this high grass and, and we stopped and, uh, and there was one lion sitting on the ground and so we're looking at this lion and there's this tall grass. And then here comes another one that the grass just kind of parts and silently this other giant lion comes out. And then here comes another one and another one. And they're just all coming out of this high grass. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, we rode right through an area that looked just like this. Like that was not cool. And I would never do that again. Yeah, um, classic story. Death in the long grass. Man, I know. Yeah. 
I and and to see that happen. Have you ever seen that that guy ride an elephant and that tiger leaps out of the long grass and rips his hand off? Yep. That is incredible because that elephant is I mean an elephant is really tall and a guy sitting on top of an elephant is really tall. And if you watch that video, that grass barely moves. And then the next thing you know, here is this giant tiger airborne from a good 30 feet away that makes it all the way up to the top of that elephant and bites the guy's hand off. It is unbelievable and scary experience. (laughs) Oh man. I mean, yes. And you're, I mean, yeah, very, very humbling experience. Uh, just to even watch that video. That is one of the craziest videos I've ever seen because you can, you even, if you watch it two or three times, you even know exactly where in the frame the tiger's going to come out of. And you're watching that intently, and that grass never moves. And then the next thing you know, this thing is coming at you. It's unbelievable. Here in the US, you know, we have a lot of opinions about hunting Africa, trophy hunters, and whatnot. But what people fail to realize is, we don't have it like they do there. You know, they don't walk to the river to, to get water and have to worry about a lion coming out of nowhere yeah. or a crocodile snatching them off the river's edge or a, a, a hippo or anything. You know, to them, it's survival day to day. Every day. Yeah. So... You know, hunting is vital to not only their economy, but to to the conservation of certain species to assure their existence. Yeah, certainly that is where um, it where the message kind of falls on deaf ears sometimes is is the conservation uh, the cons the way that that hunting is providing conservation for those areas that it's not only the the money pouring into the economy but if that money wasn't pouring into the economy in some areas then the uh the industry would be poaching and they're they're you know so those people that are guides or those people who are making a living entertaining hunters otherwise would be making a living killing those animals. So, and, and more of them, way more than the hunters are and no money, almost no money is coming back in. Well, all the money that um, hunters and outdoorsmen spend, uh, not just the Pittman Robinson act, um, just in general, so much money pours into the conservation and preservation of these animals uh, and anti-poaching efforts and things of that nature, where organizations like PETA, all the money that they raise, it goes towards hate campaigns. Mm. They don't put any money into conservation. It's us that does it. Right. Um, explain that, uh, the act that you just that you just mentioned for anybody that doesn't know what that is. Uh, the Pittman-Robinson Act uh, came into effect, I guess it was somewhere in the 30s. I think it was during Teddy Roosevelt. Um, Every license purchased, every round of ammunition, every firearm purchased, there's a tax that comes right off the top 
and goes towards conservation. Um, so it, it's a built-in insurance policy that um, we will be able to see these species and manage these species for generations to come. Mm -hmm. Yep, that self-imposed is a self-imposed tax that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people, I mean, not, not necessarily a lot of people that listen to this show don't know that, but just in general, a lot of people don't, don't know that hunters and fishermen are, are providing so much money towards conservation. And that conservation uh, is in the uh, form of uh, fish and game officers. It's in form, it's in the form of their salaries. It's, it's, it's boat ramps, it's law enforcement, it is uh, habitat, it is habitat protection, all, all on down the line. I mean, it, every, everything. And then there's, you know, organizations like Dallas Safari Club, Safari Club International, uh, you know, uh, or non-for-profits like that, that are putting even more resources. So, so like, that's one that I'm not familiar with. Like when I hear Dallas Safari Club, and I, do, I know that that's a very reputable organization, but I don't know what their agenda is. It seems like it would be for African hunting but maybe I don't, I, I don't know. And um, maybe other people that are listening to the show don't know what the, what the achievement well, Dallas, is. Dallas Safari Club is not just Dallas. Uh, I think right now there are 15 or 18 chapters across the country. I'm actually on the board of directors of the Northeast chapter of Dallas Safari Club, uh, which covers Maine down to New York. Uh, and, we're involved in conservation efforts and um, bringing youth back into the outdoors and uh, teaching them how to uh, how to hunt, how to bow hunt, how to shoot a bow, um, just uh, the conservation in, in, of the outdoors in general. Uh, it's not just Dallas. It's not just Africa. Yeah, there's a lot of conservation efforts going on here in the U.S. as well. That's a, that's a really good thing to, to be doing right now because we have the, a, a, a real influx of hunters and fishermen uh, due to COVID, due to, um, you know, there, there's been a tremendous number of people that are being introduced to the outdoors in the last year. Um, mm -hmm. So education is super important uh, as to uh, ethics, as to limits and, and, and just general behavior in the outdoors. Um, for, for a lot of reasons, like we were talking about this on the, on the podcast just the other day of, you know, if somebody, if somebody goes hunting and fishing and then they get a ticket from the game warden, the chances of them continuing are probably slim. They're like, oh, I thought this was going to be really fun. Now I got this $500 ticket and this day in court. This is really lame. I didn't know you couldn't keep this many fish. I didn't, you know, whatever it may be, probably a rookie mistake they get a ticket, they're probably out. Like it's going to take yeah. a dedicated person to continue. Um, but that education, that that's something that could have easily been uh, avoided because of, you know, through, a, through any sort of program, any sort of outreach program where people are, are, are teaching, you know, good, good ethics, good um, behavior in the outdoors. Like, this is how you stay within the law. This is 
you know, the law is not a suggestion. It is a, I mean, it is the law. It's not, I mean, even more so than the speed limit. Like you can go 30 miles an hour in a 25 and you're probably going to be okay. You have mm-hmm. five ducks over the limit. You're not okay. You have one duck over the limit. You're not okay. One fish over the limit. That is not okay. It's not like around six fish a person. It is six fish a person. Like you can have around six fish if it's four or five. That's around yep. six, but seven does not mean around six. Like that's that's over. And you know, some people that are getting into the outdoors for the first time, they they don't know these things. And you they can be told these things hundreds of times, but it did not compute somehow. And and they're mm-hmm. they're they're destined to have a really bad day, which is defeating the purpose of so many agendas of getting more people involved in the outdoors, getting more people to hunt, getting more people to fish, because that's the future of our sport. And we really, really need that. But in my opinion, it starts with uh, education being really um, available. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you can you learn how to hunt. There's, there's, there's three or four different organizations call it the Dallas Safari Club call it you know a state sponsored fish and wildlife uh weekend or or you know whatever whatever it may be trout unlimited's having some something or you know but there de- definitely we need to definitely be trying to provide these opportunities that for somebody that has hunted and fished all their life it's like well of yeah you tie a knot that's how you do it like but for somebody that's never done it before, the it's most basic things are are the biggest challenges to to getting into the outdoors. Well, that's actually one of the things that social media has made accessible. There's a lot of local groups uh, through social media that you can find a mentor to help you learn how to bass fish or tie off uh, uh, a uh, a lure or mm-hmm learn how to shoot a bow or uh, learn how to get into your tree stand for the first time and be able to shoot out of your tree stand. There's a lot of people willing to go out of their way to, to mentor you, to show you the ropes, to show you what not to do, to show you the right thing. Like for me, um, my uncle uh, took me on my first hunt and granted my uncle was not the best hunter. Um, in fact, I can't remember him ever shooting anything. But what he did teach me was uh, the whole experience, they, being in camp with the guys, sharing stories, uh, you know, just that. For me, that's half of hunting, uh, being in camp with the guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he taught me the experience. The rest, I kind of picked up on my own. <laughs> yeah, that's where you learn how to be successful. You have to learn that on your own. But but you're right. The the camaraderie and the the, the whole experience is is really the whole thing with with hunting and fishing. Is is there's a lot more to it than than actual harvest. And uh, you know, for the most part, when you get started, there's not a lot of harvesting. Like you know, unless you're hunting some really really good land or or I mean, if you're hunting on public land and you're trying to learn how to hunt on public land, good luck to you. I mean, <laughs> you know, you it, it does happen. You can kill stuff there, um, 
but it is going to be a, a, a longer process, you know, I mean, and you're going to need to be pretty dedicated and, and there are going to be a lot of days where you don't see anything or you're, it's about to happen. And here comes somebody walking through your whole setup and, and it doesn't happen. You know, all of us have, you know, found our, uh, stand in the woods on public land, uh, only to wait for sunrise. You look around, you see two or three other hunters. <laughs> right. Yeah, right around where you are. You yeah. didn't even hear them come in. But you know, that's that's not always the worst thing. They could bounce something to you that you wouldn't have seen otherwise, and and you True. could do that to them. And and uh, you know, I, I had a buddy on talking about turkey hunting. He's one of the best turkey hunters that I that I know. And he was talking about um, uh, public land techniques of doing that on purpose. Like, here's a gobbler what's going to happen is you're probably going to call him to you to, to an extent, but he's so used to being called to that. What he's going to do is probably run back down this ridge line. And so they already have the other guy set up, you know, a half mile away down this ridge line. He calls, it's not happening. So he purposefully overcalls, which sends the thing exactly to his buddy. Right. Yeah. Like, like that's a good hunter that, that realizes this and knows this and, and is using that, those, those wary birds in the public land situations, using that to the advantage. And that's, uh, you know, that's how you may have some success where, uh, you know, just, just playing, trying to, to hunt the way that you've read about in the, you know, the textbook articles it's not exactly that way on public land. It's like sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I never had a lot of luck turkey hunting. They always seem to show up the day after the season ends. Oh, they're good at that. So are oh. big deer, by the way. But uh, oh yeah. But yes, they do show up the day after. And and they're they're there a lot the day before. I was bow hunting <laughs> uh deer last year. Uh right the day after turkey season ended. I had about 30 birds in front of my stand <laughs> the day after Where were you yesterday. <laughs> yeah. They know, man, they know, they definitely know. Um, well, listen, man, Chris, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot about, uh, what you do and, and, uh, what about the podcast that, that you have? Um, how much of, how much time are you putting into that? I saw the one that, that you had with Bo Jackson. That's a pretty awesome guest. You know, Bo was on uh, the cover of uh, one of our uh, magazines. I think it was the winter edition. And uh, he was so gracious and accommodating. And it was uh, a real thrill to get to meet such an icon. Yeah. Um, but he is, goddamn, he is a diehard, obsessive hunter. Yeah. You know, he, he makes his own arrows. I mean, he's like... Uh, Listen, man, He's the I, was, real deal. <laughs> I was listening to that podcast and, uh, um, I'm hearing Bo Jackson. He's like, you know, I'm a pretty good shot with a bow. And I'm like, really? Do you, and I asked my buddy Connor here, I was like, do you think Bo Jackson's a good shot with a bow? And he's a lot younger than me. I was like, do you know who Bo Jackson is? And he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I guarantee you that Bo Jackson is probably maybe the best archer on the planet because I'm, I'm going to say that Bo Jackson could probably pick up, I don't know, name it, name the sport, bowling pool. And, <laughs> and within a week, if he wanted to, he could be world-class. 
I mean, that guy is literally one of the finest athletes this planet has ever produced. Yeah. And to think that that he 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 now wants to like his passion is is bow hunting. I guarantee you that that guy is relentless in his practice and in what he does and how he shoots and and just being able to just do it, man. I mean, like I would have these guys on the boat, you know, sometimes, and you could just tell you give them a fishing rod, and within I don't know two minutes, they look like your your guide buddy. It's like that guy's a good athlete, like. There's more he, to it than just he's hat. a fanatical fisherman as well. Yeah, I'd love to get him on the show. I would love maybe you know hook he me up. um he we were talking about his nil guy hunt and yeah. they're like very spooky animals to hunt. They're very jittery. They're hard to get close to. And he said, if I could get that thing within seventy or eighty yards, I can get it. Oh, I guarantee you. A 70 or 80 yard shot with a bow. Yeah. That is unspeakable. Well, <laughs> it just don't happen. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but that's where you're talking about. You're talking about a different human. Like yeah. that guy, I mean, whatever you can do at 30, he can do at 80. And, and fastest man on the planet, dude. He's 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 incredible. I got to see him. I went to the University of Alabama, and so when when you hook me up with Bo Jackson and I get him on the show, my daughter is going to Auburn next year. So maybe maybe that will will uh, uh, negate me being an Alabama alumni. So anyway, I got to see the Alabama Auburn game with Bo Jackson and Bobby going up against Bobby Humphrey. And it was wow. pretty awesome. I took my dad to that game, and uh, Bo became uh, he 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 uh, he 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 won. They won. Auburn won that game, and uh, it was pretty cool though because Bobby Humphrey was was also known as one of the top running backs in college, and and he might have gone on to the pros and done well, but you know then then you just see you know Bo take off, and it's like man, I saw that guy playing college. You always want to say that. The best best athlete of our generation. Yeah. Or any generation, maybe. Yeah. No, he's incredible. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Maybe energy maybe any generation. So when I hear him talking about uh shooting an apple off somebody's head, I'm pretty sure that happened. Like or he, uh, he actually shot it out of somebody's hands. Out of his, he out didn't of say who. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and a ninety pound bow, too. Wow. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm sure he can do it, man. I'm sure, he could also he could also probably make a make a mid court free throw uh, ten times in a row. I mean, like he the guy's just unbelievable. Like he said, he can't play basketball. Yeah, he said it's an indoor sport. He's an outdoor guy. Yeah, well, I bet he could <laughs> kick it. I bet he could kick it in the goal. Then he could do. He could get that thing in the goal somehow. I promise you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. He's he's a pretty incredible guy. Um anyway, all right, well listen man, thanks. So how did everybody uh uh hook up with you and and uh see what all you're up to? Well, they can find me on uh Waypoint. Nice. Uh, listen to our podcast, you can see our streaming video and um you could uh pick up our publication at americanoutdoornews.com. Okay. All right. Sounds good, man. All right, Chris. Well, I hope you have an awesome day. We'll do this again. And uh, um, thanks for thanks for your time. 
Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. All right. Nice. Okay. Thanks we'll again. see you. All right. Bye-bye.